as you're opening to the book of Jonah, I just wanted to remind you of something the New Testament tells us about these Old Testament prophets and these Old Testament accounts of the lives that they lived and the things that happened. It says in Corinthians that all these things happened to them for in samples or examples, you could say. All these things happened to them. To them who? The children of Israel. Uh, all of the Old Testament prophets and Christians. that happened to them for our example. Not only that, they are written, so it's recorded, for our admonition upon our, who, our, upon who, us, who the ends of the world have come. And that's certainly us. I mean, you know, it's been people for the last few hundred years. I get that. And if the world lasts another hundred years, another man will stand in the pulpit hundred years from now and say the same thing. But the bottom line is the ends of the world, so to speak, have come upon us. And I think it was me and Michael was talking about this a couple of days ago. Well, no matter what your view is of the world itself, the end of the United States is already actually, and it's it's probably I'd say 50% done anyway. So the world as we know it is is changing drastically. Um, but anyway, so when we read through this, I'm saying the the point is, this is written for us. It's not written for Jonah's sake. It happened. Jonah he lived it. I don't even know that Jonah himself penned it, but he probably told it to someone and they wrote it. I don't know exactly how it came to us. But it wasn't written for Jonah, it was written for us, and there are some really good things in here to learn. So let's get into it. I'm going to read a verse or two and then give some more or less a kind of a rolling commentary. Like I said, it's not my normal style, but it's what we're going to do this morning. Maybe I can stay calm too. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, in other words, he bought him a ticket, and went down into the ship to go with them, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Pause just a second. These first three verses give us the setting, the whole backdrop for the whole book. And again, I don't normally do this, but I think it would be beneficial on this one. The time frame, especially if you, if you like studying some of the what I would call synchronicities in the Bible, it's interesting to find out. Let me give you one piece of interesting history. That Shem... The son of Noah was actually still alive when Abraham was born. Abraham that married Sarah. In fact, Shem died when Abraham was about 70 years old. That's amazing. Shem lived to be 600 years old and 500 of those years was in this side of the flood. And he was still alive through the Tower of Babel and the collapse and the calling of Abraham. Well, actually not to the calling of Abraham, but until Abraham was 75 years old, it's actually possible that Abraham talked to Noah's son, Shem. It's amazing. And when you look at it that way, you can actually go from Abraham, Shem, to Noah, to, what is it, Jared, to Seth. And like five people, you're literally back to Adam, uh, which is created, created by God. It's amazing. So I'm just saying, when you look at these... These synchronicities in the timelines of the Old Testament. A really amazing thing because it happened. Well, Jonah lived and did his prophecy, his ministry, right after the separation of Israel. This is another just interesting piece of information a lot of people don't know. Israel was once a united kingdom. 
There was no such thing as Jews and Israelites. Until you get to 2 Kings chapter 16, you don't even find the word Jew. A lot of people don't know that. We're way, way, way deep into the whole history of man and Israel before you even find the word Jew. And that come into being because of some terrible things that Solomon done. And as a judgment, basically, and a curse, so to speak, the kingdom was divided. And it became... What we call a tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, is really just the sons, but it's the sons' names. That's all it is. The sons that Jacob had, he had 12 sons. God bless his heart, had 12 sons. Uh, well, the division, the 10, 10 of his sons formed what ended up being remained called Israel. It was the northern kingdom. And when now we got the name Jews, that was from Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And this happened, the division happened around 975 B.C., so about a thousand years before Christ. And Jonah lived and prophesied and preached in the 8th century B.C. So when the kingdoms divided, Israel was led by a ruler named Jeroboam. Jeroboam had an a, a heir named Jeroboam II, and he was the king of Israel during the time of Jonah. And it was a peacetime. Um, Nineveh. Nineveh is actually still with us today, which is amazing. Because Nineveh is one of the most ancient cities on planet Earth. I mean, really, top three. In fact, you can find Nineveh all the way back at Genesis chapter 10, which is the next chapter after the flood. The waters recede and the earth is dried up. Noah goes down. They begin to build. Uh, and the, at the Tower of Babel, we read about Nimrod and his cities, Akkad and Eric and Assyria or whatever. I can't remember the names. And Nimrod is there as one of the cities of, I mean, not Nimrod, Nineveh is listed as one of the great cities that the son of Nimrod started. And so it's a very ancient, very, very, very ancient city. Today it stands, again, I, you know, this is not really spiritual stuff I'm giving you right now, but it's interesting when you're going to go through a book, if you take a little bit of time and get some of this backdrop in your mind, you're like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of, this clicks there. I didn't never realize that. Well, Nineveh is in Iraq which is still a pretty wicked place. You know, Nineveh is famous all through the Bible for being a wicked place. And that's what God has said. Their wickedness has come up before me. This was 3,000 years ago. And it's still with us today. It's known as the governorate Nineveh because in, uh, just like we have states, other nations have city-states or countries or provinces. They name them all different things, and that's what it's called. And so within Nineveh today, Nineveh is like a state, and the capital of Nineveh is Mosul. It's in northern Iraq. Population is 2.5 million people. It's still a big and bustling place, really. Well, Jonah, it doesn't tell us in this book, but if you go back and read in Kings a little bit about Jonah, he, he lived in a city, a small town called Gath. Actually, it's called gath Heifer, H-E-P-H-E-R. That's where Jonah was from. Now, if I wish I wish I had some way to broadcast a map up here so you could kind of see what's happening in the background. That's why I took the time to tell you this. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to cry against it, to preach. And if I had a map, Nineveh would be the fridge. Okay? And Gath would be about where I'm standing. And Tarshish would be my bedroom door. So God told Jonah, you go right here and preach to this city. But instead, Jonah flees and goes literally, literally the exact 100% opposite way. In fact, he ended up, 
or well, he was headed about 3,000 miles away from Nineveh. And he went down to Joppa to get on a boat. Joppa was a port city on the Mediterranean Sea. And now, let me tell you one more interesting thing before we go on, because this all helps with the story. Mediterranean Sea is one of the biggest seas in the world. It's 2,500 miles across and up to 16, over 16,000 foot deep. I mean, it's a, it's a major sea. Average depth is 5,000 foot. It's basically a small ocean. And so, as we get into some of the account here of the storms and the fish and all that, you'll understand that, that some of these things come into play. So he's going in the complete opposite direction. And before we read on, let me, I want to apply some, now we're done with the setting stuff. Y'all know, it's the Middle East. So we're talking about northern Iraq, northern Israel, the Mediterranean Sea area, 3,000 years ago roughly. But there's a spiritual lesson here too right off the bat. And that is good men, men called of God. Prophets in the Bible even. Can totally mess up. I mean, they can totally go the wrong way. It says that, it, you know, it's not like that it said and, and God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah was unclear about it. And he was like, well, I'm just not sure that was the Lord. And, you know, maybe I should just wait it out here. No, no Jonah actually knew exactly what God had told him to do because we actually find out later God has even told him what to say and everything already. And Jonah doesn't just resist that he flees from the lord he flees from the lord he actually goes the complete opposite way and you know basically sometimes good christians do stupid things sometimes we resist god but to apply that to our life i, I think we do it even and we don't even realize sometimes i think we, we don't even realize sometimes that we're, we're doing this Jonah was more of a man of action than we are, possibly, and so he just put he just put his resistance of his mind right to his feet, and he just said, "No, I'm going that way." But I mean, we know a lot of the commands and teachings of the Word of God, and we we honestly know a whole lot about how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. But we resist it. We I think you know if if you read on and you study Jonah a little bit, you realize that Jonah. This is, this is a little bit of application, but let's think on this. Jonah is really just kind of thinking, no, Lord, I know better than you do. <laughs> Those people are too wicked and they don't deserve a preacher. I know you're sending me to share the gospel with these people, but they don't deserve that. They're wicked. And Lord, we say, that we say something like this. If you ever find yourself saying this, be careful. If you ever say, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Or if I was God, I wouldn't do this. Be careful how you say that stuff. Because in a way, what you're really showing is that you kind of are being your own God right now, ain't you? You kind of are thinking that you know better. And we do resist. And sometimes, you know, the Lord don't ever, the Lord's not sending any of us to Nineveh. But He may put a heavy feeling on you when you're standing at the water fountain at work one day to, hey, won't you mention Jesus Christ to your buddy over there? And you're like, oh, Lord, you don't know Him. I, I, I'm going over here to the break room. I don't even want to be over there with Him. There you go. You just fled Nineveh for Tarshish. Tarshish was a safe haven. It was a place of refuge where Jonah wasn't going to be bothered. He didn't have to witness to anybody. He didn't have to live accountable in front of people. So we need to be careful about that stuff. Jonah himself says later on in Jonah, and we're going to reference different verses if we go through all four chapters over the next four Sundays. We're going to, you're going to hear the same things several times, but 
Don't, there's a verse. It's, it's dead center of the whole book. I think it's part of the message of the whole book. And John himself says, after he kind of comes to his senses, because as y'all know, he's going to end up being swallowed by a fish. He says, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And what he really means, that's kind of a weird way to say it, but the, uh, what he says, they that observe, he means that, you know, adhere to or follow after or look for or wait on lying vanities. Lying vanities would be uh, the reason that Jonah made all the wrong decisions. No, I don't care nothing about going over there to Nineveh and getting cussed out and laughed at and everything else. I'd rather just go over here and live my life in peace. The lying vanity was that you're going to have a life of peace over here that you're not going to. But he was following after it. And think about, uh, well, I'll get into that later. But when he says they forsake their own mercy, I studied on this quite a bit so that I could really wrap my mind around it. And this, this applies for kids, you know, it's young and old, if we can really grasp it. And the bottom line is this. Let me just put it in very layman's terms for you. If the Lord has told you to do something, do that. Do it. If you don't do it, like what I'm saying is the Lord may have told you to do something that seems hard. And it seems like, oh, if I do that, life is just going to be terrible. Wrong. It's when you're doing that, when you're, when you're obeying the Lord, you're walking in the mercies of the Lord. It's not going to be as bad as you think. And you're going to have many great testimonies and many great experiences and things that, that you can share with others if you do it. If you follow the will of God, I'm saying. Young men, old men, young girls, old girls. No, you don't ever say old girls. That's, that's <laughs> young girls, younger girls. If you follow the will of the Lord, you're walking in the mercy of the Lord. But when you begin to follow your own path and you're, you, know, you begin to plot your own course, you're forsaking mercy. Because the mercy of God is with us a constant, constantly. And we don't even realize that the mercy of God got us all here today. I mean, the mercy of the Lord is with us every day of our life. But when you just resist and you go your own way and you're literally fleeing the, fleeing the, uh, the command, what Jonah is teaching us is what you're actually running from is a blessing. What you're actually running from is mercy. What you're actually running from is grace. What you're actually running from is God's loving hand being involved in your life. So, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I've done that. By the way, I've done that. I have, in times of my life, I have forsaken my own mercy. I have thought, I just need to go about something this way. I need to do it that way. I need to do this. I need to do that. And man, I end up, you know, two steps away from total collapse. And I have a Jonah reckoning moment and I come back to the Lord. We'll get into all that later. <coughs> <clears throat> Let me give you one more example before we move on. Ain't no point in being in a rush, I guess. So that you can get the picture. Children of Israel, they had a Jonah moment too. They had been led out of Egypt by the hand of the Lord. Amazing, amazing. You know, they was led by a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. And, and we know of the story of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But that's not how the story started. They get over to the promised land, which was kind of their Nineveh. Because they get there and they, they figure out, these people are wicked. There's giants in that place. And they're more powerful than us. And we're afraid of them. See, if you actually follow the map, they get from Egypt to the promised land in days. 
maybe two or three months. But when they get there, they had a Jonah moment, and they're like, oh, take me back to Egypt. I don't want to have a war. Because remember, they sent out the 12 spies. You remember that? They sent out the spies, or 10 spies. And only two came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb had faith in the Lord and said, oh, no, we can faith it. Our God is greater. You know, our strength is not our strength. It's our God's strength. And so we can go in there and do exactly what God said. But the rest of them said no. And then when it was brought up to the people, the children of Israel was like, no, man, we're not going to war with these people. We're going to turn and go back this way. And then when they said, here's my point. They, they went for the vanities. And they forsook their own mercy that was right. They was at the gates of the promised land. They was at the gates of the greatest blessing that, that was ahead of them. And just some amazing things. They forsook their own mercy. And so then they walked in their own mind. And guess what? One of the most amazing miracles in the Bible is that a group of thousands of people can walk in the wilderness for 40 years and never figure out where they're going. I mean, really, it blows my mind. It just seems like you pick a star... And it's like, God, look, we've been walking for days. Just follow that star. Let's all walk in a straight line. But no, and we'll figure out why. I'm going to show you why in a little bit. But my point is when you forsake the will of the Lord in your life, when you know the will of the Lord in your life and you choose a different path, knowingly, man, that's the hardest possible road a Christian person can walk is walking outside the will of God. You're forsaking grace. You're forsaking mercy. You're walking away from it. I'm not talking about losing salvation or anything like that. I'm just talking about you're going to have a hard road, man. You're going to have a hard road. Back to the book. Okay, we read verse 1 through 3. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Remember Jonah got on a boat and he's down inside the boat and he's headed to Tarshish. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest, which is a storm. There was a mighty storm in the sea so that the ship was like or likely to be broken. The ship was about to be broken. Pause again. Uh, who knows how far we'll make it today. We may not make it that far. What you're going to see all through this book. I've read this book several, several times. I mean, I've probably read it a hundred times. Start to finish in the last five years. So I've got things in my mind that we ain't coming to yet. But it's just, I'm seeing them all over the place. And it's just making me think about it. Again, when you, you know, you see Jonah, he's going the wrong way. And so God brings a storm into his life. And that's something we got to realize. First of all, God is sovereign Sovereign means he's the all-powerful ruler. That at the end of the day, he may give you a lot of room to work in the space he's given you, but when you cross certain lines, he's, he's going to get you back to where you got to be or take you out, possibly. But the storm here, I'm saying, in this, there's times in life that we have a storm that really may or may not be because of us. It's not necessarily God bringing a storm into our life. In fact, these mariners, these seafarers, they were in the same storm. It was Jonah's storm they were in. They were in it by proxy. But my point is just this, that God, when you're outside of the will of God and you find yourself, think about this, when you're outside of the will of God or you're questioning whether or not you're outside the will of God and you find yourself in a terrible tempest, you find yourself in a storm. The storm could be my family's falling apart, my job's falling apart, my house is falling apart, my car is falling apart, and everything in my life's falling apart. That could be God doing it to you. Don't blame everything 
on the devil and don't blame everything on the world. It could be God. It could be God saying, look, you, when you choose your own path, this is what happens. You walk with me and man, look, you won't even worry about your car falling apart because the minute it does, there's going to be somebody show up with another car right there and say, here, hop in, let's go here, let's go. The Lord will take care of the man who's living in the will of the Lord. That's the most certain thing in life that I know. If you're living in the will of the Lord, and it's not a mystery. He, he wrote it right here. He wrote it for us. Right? It's not a mystery what the will of the Lord is. You live in the will of the Lord the best you can. Man, you're going to have a blessed life. Blessed. It doesn't matter who your father is. It doesn't matter who your mother is. In other words, it's not God's not blessing us because of our ancestry or our bloodline. It's not because of the country we live in or where we grew up. It's because we follow the Lord. We're going to have a blessed life. But when you go your own way, it's just going to destroy you. And so the point is, Sometimes I think we fail to make the connections. It's not every time something bad happening in our life is the Lord trying to straighten us out, but sometimes it is. And this is 100% proof of it right here in this book. The Lord sent a great wind and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was about to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, verse 5, and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares, which is like the weapons, the pots, silverware, cookware, just think, you know, all the heavy stuff, stuff made of metal. They was throwing it off the boat into the sea to lighten it, lighten the boat of those things. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. This, again, this may be, this may sound a little bit out of the narrative here, but it actually isn't. The general, now we know, we know Jesus referred to Jonah. A real, this, is a, this is not a parable, guys, this is a real story, it really happened. And I've heard it said, and I believe this to be the case. If you can accept the first ten words of the Bible, you can accept the whole rest of it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When you can grab a hold of that, you realize God can put a man in the belly of a well and carry him across the country. He can do all kinds of things. And so this is not a parable, so don't be thinking of it as a parable. This is the real life story of a real man that really lived, and we know when he lived, and we know when this happened and everything. But I've read this book, and the general underlying theme of this book is what I'm about to tell you. It's, it's, it's actually about mercy. But it's more about us being merciful. God shows us how to do it. But it's about mercy on the pagan. Actually having mercy upon what we would call heathen or pagan people. People that you... Let's just be honest for a minute. Let me just be honest with you. It's way easier in my mind for me to go and evangelize, so to speak, or just talk to people about Jesus or talk to people about church. It's way easier to talk to the people that already think pretty good. It's just way easier. In the past five years, I'm going to estimate we've had well over a thousand different people come through this house. For, I mean, from, from out of state. We've had people come from like Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee. We've had people come from all over the place and pass through here. 
And I have found, when I look back, I have invited to Christ, so to speak. Sometimes I invite them to church if they tell me they are a Christian. Sometimes I invite them to Christ. I'm going to say I've probably only talked to about 5% of them. And when I look back at my own record of witnessing to people, I talk to the ones who kind of already seem like they're good. In other words, they're not all... Y'all know I don't like the crazy hair color stuff, but listen, the people need Jesus. And really, not just because you got... You may, have, you may have just as much Jesus as anybody can have crazy hair. I don't know. My point is... I, we can't do what Jonah does. And I, I promise you, by the time we're done with this book, you're going to see this is actually in every chapter where God is teaching Jonah a lesson about having mercy and love for the heathen. Jonah, you've been a great minister. Jonah was the appointed prophet to King Jeroboam of Israel. So Jonah was a high-ranking dude. But that's the only people here we want to talk to. People within his own faction, so to speak. But when it came time for him to go and witness to some people who really, really, really needed the truth and really needed... To know of God and really needed something like that. He says, no, man, I don't want to do that. And so here's, here's one thing we see in this. And it, it, it starts already. We're picking up on it already. If we study the other characters in this book, not just Jonah, we, we realize something, guys. Truly 95% of the world are believers in something. They're not atheists. Atheists are a tiny, small, tiny minority of people. Probably, honestly, less than 5% of the world. If we look at the world, all the world is religious, which is really one of the greatest proofs of the existence of God, that it's in man to do what the mariners did. This storm is coming. And they realize suddenly they need, they need God. And they says, they cried out. Now they're not crying out to the true God, which is why Jonah's here. That's why Jonah's there. Jonah don't even know that yet. And again, this is God's sovereignty on display. Jonah don't even know that by the time this is done, he's not only going to preach to Nineveh, but there's probably 50 people on this boat that's going to end up saved because of what they've seen unfold. That ends up telling us they made vows to the Lord. They're crying out. They end up hearing from Jonah some truth. They find out Jonah's an Israelite. And Jonah tells them, I serve the God that created heaven and earth. And they become exceeding fearful. But here's my point. Jonah didn't care about witnessing the people in Nineveh, nor did he care about witnessing to the heathen on this boat right here. He'd rather just go down there and go to sleep. And when the storm rises, he's holding out to the last minute to tell them, hey, it's because of me. And if you'll just throw me overboard, this will all go away. My point is, so much of the world, my friends, really, this is important for us to think on. So much of the world will needs the truth. And these, when you cry out to God, it's an act of faith. Problem is they're, they're, they're crying out to a God of their own imagination. A God that doesn't really exist. Because it says every man cried out to his own God. Well, there's, not, well, there's only one true God. But the people in other places in town, even right here, um, it, it, really, they're showing signs of faith. But the problem is, and I've tried to get this across so many times, faith in a lie does nothing for you. Faith in the truth is the only effective thing that there is. Faith in the truth. It has to be faith in the truth. And that's why when God sends us out to preach, He doesn't say just go out and tell them to believe. He says go out and tell them the truth. That's what the preacher does. You're going to tell people the truth. And, then, and as the Bible says, they don't like the truth. 
And so it's not readily received. But I will tell you this much. In my experience, when I have embraced this kind of evangelism, whenever I have decided to, hey, I'm going to witness to the Hindu guy. He's way more receptive than the atheist guy is. Why do I spend so much of my time on the atheist guy or the guy who's just going against the grain when the Hindus and the Buddhists, and let me tell you another one. This is going to be, man, I'm telling you, if I preach this in a mega church right now, that church would kill me. Witness to the Muslims. I understand some... You have to overcome maybe some personal things of how different things have affected you in life. I understand that. That's what John is going through. We find out there's, there's more than just one reason Jonah don't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh had beat on his people. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and as we know, Assyria actually took Israel into captivity. So Nineveh was more than just wicked. That was his enemy. And, you know, we kind of have that, don't we? You know, we grew up in, in this great country, and we kind of have national enemies. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Muslim people are more receptive to the gospel than you think that they're going to be. And I'll tell you this too. They're more receptive to it than the atheist people. And especially the people of other religions. My point is, guys, we, I, I'm, I guess I'm preaching on myself, but I want you all to think about it. You know, your purpose here, if you're a born-again believer, your purpose here is to be a light to the world so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in Your purpose here is to be a witness to somebody in some way, shape, form, or fashion. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. Our kingdom is not here. Our home is not here. We have a home reserved for us in heaven. Faith's not away. So why am I here? Oh, well, I'm here because there's people like this. We find out good men. These are good men on this boat. They try and save Jonah's life. They cry out to a God that they, they don't. They just don't know the truth. And so, all I'm saying is, your Christian calling is your greatest calling. And if you find yourself one day on an airplane or whatever, or you're encountering, uh, you know, people from another country, check yourself, man. Witness to those people. Or if you're inviting people to church or witnessing to people at Walmart or something. I've already seen this from Michael. I'm, I'm proud of him. Honestly, guys, I mean, I'm terrible about this. But if you're going to tell somebody about the Lord, who really cares what they look like at that moment? I mean, seriously. The person might be even... Hi, or something. You know, I don't know. They may look like, man, what the heathen that person is. That's the one that needs him the most. And it's a lack of love. It's a lack of love for our fellow man on our part that we see the ones that need it the most and we're just like, ugh. You know, no, I want to go over here to the guy that's got on the, you know, plaid shirt buttoned up like myself and talk to him about the Lord. But that shouldn't be the case. I didn't even mean to get into all that stuff. Let me wrap it up. There is kind of a mission field in, in Christianity too, I guess, because just like these heathen people was calling upon a God of their own imagination that wasn't going to do anything for them. I know of a lot of Christian people who seem to do that too. <laughs> just to be honest with you. I know of a lot of Christian people 
who cry out and pray to a God they have invented. And they may call his name Jesus. But there's, you know, even in the Bible, there was more than one man named Jesus. And if, again, you know, the faith must be in the truth is my point. And we want to make sure. Because I was thinking about it. I was, I mean, I'm a philosopher. I can't help it. And so I was thinking about, you know, what's the difference when these, this group of men, if we were there, and they all are in fear for their life, and they begin to call out to God. But it says a God of their own. Their own God. What's really the difference there? And the difference is what, what they're thinking of, what they understand, and the truth that's in their mind of what they're calling out to. I mean... I'm not saying that you have to have this full understanding of God to be able to get through to God. No, not at all. I don't mean that. I mean, in a way, God answers their prayers too. But I am saying that having the right understanding, which is why Bible studies and things like that is very important, having the right understanding of who God is, that Christ is God, having the right understanding of, the, you know, uh, that there is only one God, those things are they're very important. It's very important. You can't just go to someone and just say, hey, you believe in God? And if they say, yeah, I just think, okay, well, then we're the same because that's not the case, and this is proof of it. But anyway. I'm actually going to just stop there. I thought I'd make this whole chapter. I'm not going to. We'll pick it back up next week. But to close out with something to leave you thinking about. In chapter 4 of this book, we're, we're going to read an amazing story of Jonah. We're going to read an amazing prayer of Jonah. And nowhere that your prayers can't be heard. Jonah's in the belly of a whale probably under 3,000 feet of water and he cries out to God and God hears him. There's no better time to pray than when your life is in a tumult. But again, the, I, the reason I spent so much time, y'all probably surprised that we're going to study Jonah now here. He's spending so much time telling me I need to witness to Muslims and Buddhists and Hindu and everybody. You're going to find out that's the, that's the point for Jonah. Jonah didn't know that he was living out a prophecy of Christ three days and three nights in the whale's belly and at, you know, that Christ would be three days and three nights harder. Jonah didn't know that. The point to Jonah in the end is, Jonah, you have no mercy on the people who need mercy. Jonah, you're a preacher of the gospel, but you're just preaching to the choir, man. You're not getting out there. And when I send you to the people that need you, you want to run the other way. Jonah, this, you got to change your style here, man. you gotta cha- you got to change your understanding of things. And it, it, it touched me personally as I read through this and read through this and read through this and read through this that I got to chapter 4, and God, the second to the last verse, is God telling Jonah, Basically this, if y'all know the story, the shade tree come up over Jonah because he was sitting out there to watch the judgment of Nineveh. He finally ends up in Nineveh and he's preaching against it and he says, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days if you don't repent. And he goes and sits on the edge of the city so he can watch them be destroyed because he wants them to be destroyed. And that's what he even tells God. He tells God, I, I don't want to preach to them because they'll repent and I don't want them to. And so anyway, he's sitting out here and God says this to him. Jonah... You care more about shade, shade over your head, than you do 120,000 people. Because Jonah sits out on the edge of the city, off in a distance, 
And the Lord provides him some shade. That's a gourd grow up over his head. Because it was hot. It's a desert place. And Jonah's like, man, yeah, it's awesome. I'm out here in my tent. God's giving me some shade. And I'm about to watch fire and brimstone come down and kill these Muslims. Or these Buddhists or whatever. And so to teach Jonah this lesson, God strikes the gourd, which was providing Jonah shade. Let's a worm eat it and it dies. And now Jonah's mad at God again and he's weeping over the shade, the gourd that's dying and everything. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, you care more about shade than you do a city full of 120,000 people that need saved. And then God even says, and that's not even including the animals. Not that the animals can be saved. I'm saying Jonah wanted to see everything destroyed. He didn't, even, he didn't care about the cattle and all that stuff. And it really got to me. The more and more and more I thought of it. That's, that's nearly the last verse. That may even be the last verse. I think it's the second to the last verse. But it really began to stand out to me. And I think that I have that condition. I think a lot of us might have that condition. We definitely don't want to become like the world. But we want to engage the world as much as we can. And I think at the end of the day, I care too much about my 72 degrees and my comforts than I do the souls of 100,000 people. I just don't want to measure myself up that way, but I think that's probably the truth. And so I'm done for today. We're going to probably go through and finish this uh, later, next Sunday or something. But through this week, that's what I want you all to think about. We engage people, all of us, every day of our lives whether it be through Facebook, text messages, bumping into people at work or whatever. And I'm not telling you to talk to every single person that you bump into. Let the Lord lead you on that. I understand that. But I do know that we, we are unmerciful to those who we already judge out of the way. When in fact, those are the actual people that God is saying be merciful to. Those are the people that God is saying, reach out to. And I have seen it here. People don't want to invite someone to church because they got a tattoo on their face or something. And they're afraid to be the one that invited them. If they show up, they don't want to be the one associating with brother sons over the tattoo or, hey, I seen this guy at Walmart and I invited him. Man, don't, let's not be that way. Let's not be that people. Let's not be the junk. Let's not be the ones that just say, oh, I say just blow the place up and kill them all. Let's not be that. Let's blow the place up with the gospel and get them all saved. And we have more brothers and sisters in Christ. So, I mean, I know that seems like a really out of place message today. That's, that's just what was on my heart to do is go through the book of John. And we're just getting started, I guess. But uh, that's all I have for now. I'll stop because really to get into the, it, it kind of, now we've set this whole stage and it starts to change course about specifically John and things that's happening to him. And I say we just saved that. So, if anybody has anything they'd like to say or testify or share a prayer request, anything? If not, we'll uh, eat and hang out, man. And maybe turn that thing to shirt down. Because <laughs> I'm about to burn a lot. <laughs> uh, I think the only thing that I was thinking about was probably the Mm-hmm. Be included where you're a believer. God's called us to be 
is talk or do whatever, maybe think. But you see, Jonah, he goes down, and he goes down, gets on the boat, and he goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he's going down, down. That's right. He's brother, brother, wife, and God. But they wake up, he's asleep. That's the church. Mm -hmm. We're asleep. We're comfortable at 72 degrees. It is. It, it really is. Yeah. It is. At the end of the day, Jonah is a picture of us. Yeah. Well, everybody to some extent needs the encouragement, I think, that's provided in the book of Jonah. And it is us. And it is right. I didn't point that out. But when Jonah is called, he actually has to go south to Joppa to get in a boat. He gets on the boat and he goes down to the bottom and goes to sleep. And then he ends up down in the belly of a whale and the whale goes down to nearly the bottom of the Mediterranean because he says he went down to the bottoms of the mountains and the bars of the earth surrounded me. And he was, he was, I mean, he was as low as you can get, physically speaking, and it's a spiritual picture there. But anyway, yes. He does go up eventually. Eventually. He, come, he, he, he shows back up by being vomited out of the mouth, it says, right? He learned his lesson. We'll get... We'll get to some of that stuff. It's really awesome. It's, it's, a re it's really awesome. It's really awesome, too, when you think about it and believe in faith, that God is in such control. This is what amazes me. God is in such control that you can say, no, I'm going this way. And he says, okay. And he just takes the earth and does that. And now all of a sudden you're going that way because the earth was moved under your feet. I mean, if God wants you there, you're going to end up there even if you got to be eaten. And that's what happened. So anyway, speaking of eating, <laughs> we'll close out and we'll take some of this and fellowship together and hang out. Brother Alan, care to close us out?